Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander, not from Yerushalayim, Yeratogba, from Yeratogba, but not speaking from Yerushalayim, unfortunately, brought at the moment for a couple days. To be back soon, I'm actually in the, in the country of Switzerland, and I'm reminded of the famous story told of the first chief rabbi of Israel, Rav Avram Yitzhak Cook, that when he came to Switzerland for a conference, and they tried to, he was a little bit depressed because he was got stuck here. And they brought him to see the Alps to try to get his mind off of it. And all he could say was, Yushalayim Harim Savivla, that Yushalayim has, that has mountains that are surrounding. Indeed, we have the great Alps here, but it's nothing like Yushalayim Yerakodesh. And I, I look forward to being back soon. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman from Beit Shemesh. Yes, and I am actually in Beit Shemesh, although I was in, I was in the diaspora a few weeks ago, but uh, I'm glad to be back home, and I'm glad that, that you've joined us today. Yes, and, and of course, Israel Unplugged is where we bring you the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. No spin, no twist, just facts on the ground, and uh, I'm this is a live show. We want to encourage you to call in. We love people calling in, whether it's to say good things or bad things, whether it's compliments or, or criticism. We love to have that interaction and that discussion. So please, if you happen to be in North America, please call 301-768-4841. It's 301-768-4841. If you're fortunate enough to be in the Holy Land of Israel, Please call 02650-0151, 02650-0151. And I want to remind you that we have very, very important websites that you need to go look at. One is Rabbi Lichtman's website, toratzion.com, and the other is uh, our own, which is itstimetoleave.com. Both of these websites have a, a uh, treasure trove of information about Aliyah and about moving back there to Israel and the yes, and we'll con- Right, and we'll continue right after the break. So make sure to to stick with us. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Um, we have a great show ahead of us. Uh, I think we're going to start with discussing events that happened yesterday. 
Um, yesterday, as many of you know, many of you who are listening in, certainly those of you in the United States, especially those of you in the New York area, know that yesterday was what? The Israel Day Parade. Right? I think it's actually called something else nowadays, but it's basically the parade that celebrates the establishment of the state of Israel, all the Jews and, and many non-Jews. Uh, in the area come and show their support for Israel and the state of Israel and the Jews in Israel. And it really, I have to say, I got a link to it and I, and I watched most of it and I skipped around a lot, but I, I, I watched a lot of it. Um, so, uh, so it was really beautiful. It was really, they have, you know, groups, every, every school you can imagine in the New York area represented by all their students and they're all excited and dancing and jumping and it, it was really really beautiful and each time they they explained what what this school what their uh what their mission statement is and how zionistic they are and how much they love israel and all this kind of thing and, and it really was very heartening i have to say it was very beautiful that there's so many we have so many supporters throughout the world but i but of course you know, being who I am and, you know, being what uh, I have dedicated my life to, it, it is a little bit sad because if all those good Jews, and by the way, there were Jews of all different den denominations. There were conservative shuls, there were reformed uh, uh, synagogues, there were all these different types of organizations, which I certainly don't uh, don't agree with, you know, there are certain things about them, but it doesn't matter. They all united on the issue of the state of Israel, that we support the state of Israel. And that's really, really beautiful. They have Orthodox but, Jews, too? Yeah. That, oh, you mean ultra-Orthodox Jews. Now, that was probably one of the only groups that was not represented. Although... Although some of the schools were a little bit on the more right-wing uh, side, I would say, but certainly you did not have representatives from, you know, Beit Midrash Gavoa in Lakewood or, you know, Yeshivat Chaim Berlin in Brooklyn or other such places. You are right. That, that doesn't mean they don't support the state of Israel, but they're certainly not going to come out. That's not the um, Haredi way to come out and march uh, with everybody else and, you know, and basically put their name on it and uh, sign on the dotted line as if, you know, we officially support the state of Israel no matter what. Of course, we know we know what the Haredi viewpoint is on, on these issues. And you're right, it's sad. It's sad. But I, I do believe that they do support, they still do support the state of Israel. Um, but the real problem is that all these great Kohot, all these great strengths that we have, these, uh, you know, all, all, all the, um, I don't know how you say kohot in, in, in English better, um, you know, the, the talents, the talents that are there that can be used for the actual state of Israel and not just, you know, waving a flag and saying, yeah, 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 we love Israel, we love Israel, but actually coming and using their talents to... Uh, to improve life here in the state of Israel is really what we need. That's what we need. We need, and I once saw a um, dry bones, I think it's called. It was a, uh, probably still is, 
a comic comics in the Jerusalem Post, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, political com- comics. So one of the ones I saw, I was uh, describing the the march of the Israel Day Parade, and it said and some one one person is saying to the other in the comic. You know, instead of all those Jews marching uh, down Fifth Avenue, if they would just march to the airport and come to Israel, you know, a lot of our problems would be solved. And especially from our perspective, Josh and I, you know, who talk all the time about the unfolding redemption. I mean, if all those people, all those Jews who marched yesterday would just would pick up at least in the next few years and come and come uh, live in Israel, they would make a major Major, major difference. It would be. It would bring us one step closer, many steps closer, to the ultimate redemption. Uh, and and I really think that that's that's what needs to be done. Although again, I really want to say that it was beautiful, and and we appreciate the support. But let's take it to the next level, and let's move. Let's I, all I, I want pick to up. Project for one second. Sure. I, I think that uh, I'm going to say something that's very harsh. So if anybody is very woke out there, they should probably close <laughs> their ears. Um, there is a movie which I don't. I'm, I'm not sure how many people. I'm, I'm, you probably haven't seen it, but there are many people I'm sure that are listening that have seen the movie. That's the name of the movie is Dead Man Walking, and it refers to people that are on death row, some people that are death row that they're walking to their execution. And when I think about the marching of Jews in, in uh, Chutzlar, it's outside of Israel, I think about dead men walking, just like when I was walking with the chief rabbi of Romania several weeks ago, and I said to him that when I look around here you're in Europe, I just see Jewish blood everywhere that I go. And, uh, and that, that's really the way I feel, and I think we're going to hopefully have some time to discuss some of these matters of what, what philosophically it means to be a Jew that's living outside of Israel. Yes, a hundred. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I agree that is harsh. That is definitely harsh. <laughs> um, but I, I do. I do agree, of course, that uh, the future of the Jewish people is in Israel. And um, yeah, it, it's not. It's not. There are, the, there are those, of course, that actually say this literally. That, that there are those commentaries that say that Chiatametim, the resurrection of the dead. Are the Jews that are coming back to Eretz Israel? That the Jews, the the, the Gros says this straight out. He refers. He says that when the, the the destruction of the temple happened, that was the death of the body of the Jewish people, and then we went into exile, and that was the burial of the the body of the Jewish people. And over two thousand years, I think we mentioned this before, over two thousand years of exile, that was the decomposition of that Jewish body. And the process of them coming back to the land of Israel is actually the resurrection of the dead. That is what one of the ideas of what's referred to in Yechezkel and Ezekiel when he refers to the dry bones coming back to life. That is actually happening today with the half of the Jewish people returning to their homeland and being resurrected as a nation. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I think there's one other aspect that we have to say about... Um, about this march, and that is that the unity, and that was uh, I was actually the theme of the of the march this this uh, week this this time was about the unity, you know, unifying around around Israel, and and it really is something uh, exceptional that 
so many Jews can be united at least on this issue. I know there are those who are not, uh, those who are so leftist and so so assimilated that they buy the our enemy's uh, narrative of as if we stole the land, et cetera, et cetera. It's just it's mind-boggling. But most, the vast, vast majority, and again, it wasn't only Orthodox Jews. It was also conservative and reform and LGTB and all these different types of uh, Jewish organizations were there because Israel unites. And I wanted to read something which is, is actually very, very startling. Um, in, in the book, Ema Banim Smecha, uh, which I translated, we've spoken about it many, many times, Rav Tachtal, who was this ultra-Orthodox, anti-Zionist rabbi who changed his mind during the Holocaust and wrote this unbelievable book. So he, I often say that many or some parts of the book will actually have proven to be prophetic. And I always give this as an example. He says as follows, I would like to add and explain how the ingathering to Eretz Yisrael will diminish the dispersion of the exiles, even though it will occur before the building, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. As he had said beforehand, the Borah Hatam Sofer, who says that the ingathering of Eretz Yisrael will make us, all Jews, be less dispersed, meaning more united. He says, at the very beginning, it will be impossible for the entire nation to assemble to, in, in Eretz Yisrael, because the land will still have to be built up and expand enough to be able to absorb all those Jews. Therefore, some Jews will remain in the diaspora until Hashem fulfills his promise to gather all of Israel into the land. Now, even though all of Israel will not return right away, it seems to me that the land will become a universal center for the entire Jewish nation by the very fact that there will be an assembly of Jews in Jerusalem and Eretz Israel. We have to remember, he goes on to say, he says, and only someone like him who lived through the Holocaust, well, lived during the Holocaust and lived before the Holocaust could say such a statement. He these, said, these are his words or the Khatam Sofer's words? These are his words. This is him. No, the Khatam Sofer is just the beginning, who he says that, 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 that um, the, the ingathering of Eretz Israel will diminish the dispersion. Now he's explaining how. He's saying because first it's going to be some Jews and then more Jews. And he says, even those who remain in the diaspora will keep their eyes and hearts on the land. Don't forget, he's writing this during the Holocaust. The fact that he saw this to be true, that Jews all over the world will be united through the land of Israel is unbelievable. They will be bound and connected with all their souls to the universal center which will be established in the land of Israel. It will unite them even in the diaspora. And they will not be considered dispersed at all. Today, on the other hand, okay, so I see we're running out of time for this section segment. I, I want to give it the proper uh, the proper time that it needs. I have another two minutes of this to read this, and we'll do that right after the break, um, where you'll see what he says is absolutely prophetic. It's unbelievable. So please stay with us, and uh, we'll be back shortly right after a uh, news break. Hi, 
everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back Welcome. to Israel Unplugged. And, and we're just going to finish this one piece from Ema Banim Smecha. Um, so I was saying how he prophetically foresaw how the the gathering of Jews in Eretz Yisrael, even before the redemption, even before the complete redemption is finished, still it will unite the Jewish people around the issue of the land of Israel. And then he says... He says how this is in contrast to what was going on in his time during the Holocaust. Listen to this very sad description of how things were at the time of the Holocaust and beforehand. Today, on the other hand, he says, the people of Israel are like lost and scattered sheep among the nations. No Jew associates with his fellow Jew. Wherever they live, which means, in other words, obviously Jews associated with each other, but, you know, you had the Russian Jews and the and the uh, German Jews, and they wouldn't talk to each other. Like, they were so f- different than each other, they would not even have anything to do with each other. Wherever they live, they are like dangling limbs without any connection to the individual and certainly not to the community as a whole. This is true and utter dispersion. We have all been abandoned like fish of the sea. In these recent difficult years, despots subjugate us and do with us as they please. They degrade and murder us without limit and without any liability for their actions. These scoundrels have no one to answer to for their deeds. However, now listen to this and tell me if this doesn't remind you of the raid on Entebbe in 1976, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. However... If we establish a universal center in Eretz Yisrael, don't forget he's writing this in 1943 during the Holocaust. He's saying if we establish a universal center in Eretz Yisrael, our pride and glory will rise among the nations and we will be considered a dignified and important nation. Then even the individuals who remain in exile will not be forsaken, meaning that will protect Jews all over the world. Because anyone who wants to cause him harm will know that there is someone who will demand a reckoning of his actions. No longer are Jews going to be, you know, uh, uh, left to whoever, everybody could do what they are, hefker, what's called, ownerless, right? He will know, meaning any despot who wants to do us harm, will know that, th- that he is liable for his deeds and will therefore refrain from doing anything improper. And that's what happened in, ni- in, in, in 1976 when the, uh, an airplane was hijacked. And and the state of Israel came in and saved saved most of those Jews as many as they could, and um, it was it was unbelievable. It was a real message to the That's nations of the world. That, uh, and and we right. should mention also that the only the, the only person in the army that was killed was the brother of the poor prime minister Bibi Netanyahu, exactly um, that was killed during that that uh, that Correct. operation. Correct. 
Correct. So that's what I had in mind when I saw the beautiful unity that was displayed yesterday at the march. And and it's because we have a state of Israel. That's why Jews can be unified. We have something that we all can agree on and that we all should agree on. Whether you're the most extreme Haredi or not, or the extreme on the other hand, we should all agree that the Jewish people need a homeland and belong in their homeland. Maybe we can discuss how that homeland should look and maybe we we, we should come and try to change things and do things better. But the fact that we have a homeland, that the Jewish people have where to go uh, in times of trouble or in time, times of joy is, is something that should unite all Jews throughout the world. Those are my thoughts on yesterday's uh, march. Okay. I, I was just going to say, and I think you, you, you basically said it, but that Israel is not just a place of refuge. It's not meant to be just a place that you can escape to when we are attacked or we are persecuted. But Israel is the ideal for the Jewish people to be in, regardless of whether we're being persecuted or not, even in places that are relatively safe to the Jewish people, like the United States at this point in time, where people may or may feel safe in their own homes, wherever they are. Um, even then, they have an obligation and uh, to come to Eretz Israel, regardless of whether or not they're u- utilizing it as a place of refuge. That is, that is, the, the mitzvah in the Torah does not say that Israel is, you're supposed to go to Israel because you're running away from other people. It's, it's, it's a mitzvah in, its, in and itself to come to Eretz Israel. Correct, correct. Okay. And better so you should come here in good times than in bad times. I, I, I'm, I don't remember if I mentioned it uh, several, uh, several, a couple months ago. I met a rabbi from Baltimore who uh, I, I approached in the old city of Jerusalem, and I said to him, I said, when are you moving to Israel? And he said, soon the, 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 the goyim, the non-Jews are going to come. They're going to throw us out. And I said, you have, to, you have to wait for them to throw you out? Like, you know that's going to happen, and you have to wait for that? It reminds me of the, the story that is told of the Hasidic rabbi. The old Hasidic rabbi is told that he should get up and leave because there's about to be a pogrom in his, in his village. And he says that his father was beaten up by the Goyim and his grandfather was beaten up by the Goyim. And he, too, he feels it necessary that he also is, will be beaten up. So that, that we don't feel that we have to stay and we, have to, we don't have this <laughs> concept of uh, turning the other cheek and we don't have to be beaten up. We can come, like I said, in good times. We don't have to wait for the bad times. So on, on this past weekend, we had two wonderful women come to our, our, our Shabbos table and uh, they were looking into moving to Israel. Um, and one of them was from um, one of my, my, my f- most favorite places to pick on, which uh, if people don't know that, <laughs> that's Lakewood, New Jersey. And uh, we started speaking. And, and, and I think that over the years, I have uh, sort of played with this in my mind, but I never realized, I never, I never heard it articulated quite the way that she did. We were discussing the question of the Messiah. Mashiach, we believe, we, it's one of the 13 principal foundations of Judaism to believe that the Messiah is going to come, and he can come any day. So the question was that I, that I often ask people is, what do you think is going to happen when the, the Messiah comes? There are many, many commandments in the Torah that are not, uh, that are not studied, that are not learned. Uh, today, because they're not considered to be unpractic- impractical, they're, they're, not, they're not things that apply in, in 
outside of the land of Israel today. So many people don't learn about it. They don't know about it. And they don't know the basic laws uh, that apply to almost a third of the commandments in the Torah. So my question was, what do you expect is going to happen when the Messiah comes? Do you think that he's going to, I always use the, the example, do you think that he's going to hand out a bunch of uh, thumb drives that we're going to stick into our brains and we're going to all of a sudden know all of these laws of what to do. By the way, the famous rabbi, the Chavetz Chaim, was very adamant on this fact that we have to start studying, we have to start preparing, because any day the Messiah can come and we need to know all the laws of, uh, of the sacrifices and the temple and we, we need to start studying these things. It doesn't happen automatically. So she articulated in a way which I always sort of un in the back of my head understood, but I never, like I said, I never heard it said straight out. Which she says, what she said was, her answer was that when Eliyahu Anabi, when Elijah comes to announce the Messiah's coming, we have a tradition that he's going to announce the Messiah's coming, and he's going to answer all of our questions. And things are going to, to since the world is going to be full of the knowledge of God, uh, we are just going to have, we're going to be like sponges. And as, as Elijah comes, he's going to teach everything that we need to know, and we're just going to soak it all in in, in, a, in a moment's time, in a day's time. We're going to know all the things that we need to know that we haven't studied up until that point because, uh, because, he, because Maleo Lam we're going to, the whole world is going to be full of, the, of God's presence and knowledge. So, I, again, I never heard it actually said articulated outright. But I, 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 now I believe that that is probably mainstream. I think that is what mainstream Jews outside of Israel think. They think that the day will come when the Messiah will magically come, and all of a sudden everybody's going to know all the different laws that are necessary to know, because most of them are not studying it now. Right. Well, that that's clearly not what the Chafetz Chaim held, because he opened a whole kolel in order to study the laws of sacrifices because if he knew this, if he knew that, that Elio was going to teach it all to us in two seconds, so then why would he waste his time on such a kolel, right? So seemingly the Chafetz Chaim doesn't agree. But it's also... It, no, it's, nor does the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I have, his, uh, I have his book open in front of me here in, in, in Geneva, and uh, I'm at a Beit Chabad here, and they, they, they get, gave me a... a uh, as talk of the Rebbe that he spoke about the commandments to build the, the, the temple. And he speaks about how one can fulfill the commandment to build a temple in a time that one is not physically able to build it. One can build it by learning the commandments, all the laws that relate to building the temple, similar to what we have today with our prayer services, which since we don't have the sacrifices up and running right now, Instead of the sacrifices, we understand that we can pray instead, and that will be, in, until we have the sacrifices, that will be in, in their stead. So right. it, it's, it's clear, yeah. Sorry. Right. I think I, I think I think it's a it's a general problem. It's it's not just about this issue about learning all the the laws. It's in general these Jews. You, how many times have we both heard this? You know, oh, when Mashiach comes, I'll come. I'll come when Mashiach comes. As if when Mashiach comes, everything's going to be simple. He is going to be the, this person. This, the Jews are going to be able to sell their houses for millions of dollars. And of course, get all their money and take it all with them. Uh, or Mashiach is just going to come and fly and bring uh, bring all the Jews to Israel in a miraculous way, and the, the new houses are going to be are, are are going to pop up from the from the ground. That's just ridiculous. To, in in reality, those people who come too late will probably have to stay in like 
tents for years until until enough houses are built to to accommodate all the Jews that are coming. That's the reality. And the reality is also they're not going to be able to sell their million dollar houses for more than, you know, a bupkis for a few pennies because there are going to be so many houses on the market in all these different communities. Um, so anyway, we'll get back to this right after the break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Shalom, I'm Leah Haroni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah, every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and we have uh, just a few more minutes to discuss uh, an important uh, issue with you. Um, Josh, our host, our main, uh, you know, uh, contributor the to this. The main host uh, that's never around. Yeah, whatever, who's always somewhere else. Anyway, um, but actually he, he goes to great lengths to make sure that he is here, even if he is on, on the run or on the move. Anyway, so he showed me this article that was in the uh, printed in the Jewish link, and it's called Next Year in Jerusalem? Question mark, in which the author uh, basically says how we, of course, uh, all Jews uh, look forward to the time when the Messiah is going to come and we're going to come back to the land of Israel, etc. And and he discusses the problem of you know, modern Orthodox Jews who are such so believe in the state of Israel and, and, and Zionism, but how so many of them don't make the move. And he says, I'll read one small part. Some of the reasons I've seen often offered by Olim looking back at their former neighbors, are the three C's, comfort, convenience, and Costco. Okay, so, but then he goes on to say, adding more I, subs- I thought Costco is, is comfort and convenience. Yeah, well, that's the point. It's all, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's comfort and convenience. In other words, the three C's, that's like saying uh, me, myself, and I, you know, it's the same thing. It's all about comfort. Um, but then he says, adding more substance to these reasons, you could say that American modern Orthodox Jews stay because of connections to family, a sense of cultural belonging, career opportunities, ties to a community, etc. But he says that the problem is that that's, you know, if we're a purpose-driven community, reasons like these just don't cut it. So how could we, basically, what's our excuse? Why aren't we coming on Aliyah? So when I read this, up to this point in the article, I was like, wow, this guy, and, and I know Josh sent it to me for a reason. I, I was like, wait, this doesn't seem to be a problem. And this seems to be beautiful. He's saying that, you know, Jews either are staying because of comfort or because of, Okay, important reasons like connection to family and things like that, but but that's not really a good enough reason not to make Aliyah. So then he goes on, however, to continue his article, and he says, there are, however, more fundamental reasons to justify 
and not only to justify, but to encourage building and expanding the footprint of modern orthodoxy in America. And then he gives six reasons. First reason, America is unique. In other words, like everyone says, America is different, right? And he doesn't talk about the fact that, you know, the Holocaust or things like that, persecution will not happen in America because I, uh, you know, that I guess would be very silly to say because we know that every single exile has ended in tragedy. So why would America be different? But he says that America is not just another way station on this circuitous journey of Jewish history, but was and is a grand political experiment in the creation of a society in the model of the Hebrew Bible. To be sure, the state of Israel, where Hebrew is the vernacular and all students study Tanakh, certainly has a robust connection to Jewish traditions and values. However, in some ways... America, at least in its structure of government and founding vision, is more rooted in biblical values than the state of Israel, some of the founders of which were indifferent or antagonistic to, to traditional forms of Jewish observance. So, um, you know, I don't know, Josh, do you have anything to say about that or, or should, I, uh, should I start? You go for it. Okay, so, so first of all, I think... Um, it is true that, you know, a lot of the, the, the people who, uh, the founders of, this, of America, certainly were Bible-oriented and religious people. But we do see, I think it's very hard to say that America is a religious place. I mean, just the decadence of the society in terms of so many different things, the 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 whole movie movies and and television and 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 everything that you see on these things, and especially today, today seeing all of the the ills of our day of of like what I just read the other day in uh, on the news about uh, the either it was some high high official. Uh, refusing to say that only women can give birth. In other words, saying that even men can give birth now. Why is that so? Because everybody can identify however they want. So if someone wants to identify as a man, even though they are physically a woman, they're a man. And then that man can get pregnant and have a child. So, um, you know, these things are happening in our coming from America. That's where this leftist um, denying uh, science uh, type of, of uh, you know, viewpoints are well, coming from. So, I'll be halachically Jewish. <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so, you know, to say that America is better in more of more, you know, value based society than Israel, I think is very hard to say. I agree. Israel is not perfect. But here's the main difference. The main difference is you can try all you want to change America. You're not going to change America. You're not going to change the few hundred thousand, even million Jews that live in America are not going to make a difference. But if all those religious Jews, all those modern Orthodox Jews who he is, he is uh, advocating should stay in America. If they would come to Israel, they would make Israel a more Torah-based, a more uh, value-based society, and and that's what we have to do. We have to we have to create the perfect society in Israel, not anywhere else, because it won't be possible anywhere else. Only in Israel can we do that. Okay, 
So that's the first point he makes. And then he makes the second point. Modern orthodoxy in America serves a vital role. He says there's this vital role of, you know, you have the, the right wing who, you know, who shun, uh, many times shun uh, uh, secular knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the non-observance. So you have the modern orthodox who are in the middle who can sort of absorb any any Jews who want to become more religious, et cetera. I don't know if that's I don't know if that holds much water either because I think honestly many many people who return to Judaism in America return so to the more Haredi communities and much less so to the uh, modern Orthodox communities because let's face it a lot of the modern Orthodox communities are 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 very um, let's say maybe Dati light are very you know are, are not necessarily the ultimate uh, in religious observance and therefore a lot of people see that and they don't they don't go for it so i don't know how great that that argument is either the third argument he gives is the american separation of of church and state is something that we don't have in israel in israel there's no separation although i'm not so sure that's true there is but um he he there thinks are that, that are fighting for separation Right. I, I think I think that, now that's a point where you can argue about them. I and it's certainly not a reason I'm going to stay in America because of the separation of church and state. Great. Uh, but again, come to Israel and make a change, make a difference, make a difference in Israel. Why? Why put all of your uh, your strengths and your talents into building up a diaspora community, which we all know will eventually peter out. We all know because that is the way all of Jewish history has 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 happened. And who knows? I, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. It certainly looks like it's falling apart right now, but you know who knows? Maybe it'll take a long time from now. But it is eventually going to going to going to end. And the land of Israel is where the Jews are eventually going to return to. So why push it off? Why try to build up American institutions when you can be building up the land of Israel? This one drives me crazy. His fourth reason is American Judaism represents opportunities for Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name, that are qualitatively different from those of Israeli Judaism. So, Josh, you want to, what we discussed before, you want to, I'll let you take this one. Why is that the most ridiculous thing in the world? Well, clearly the Nevi'im don't agree with this gentleman's assessment because they very, very specifically say that Jews that are living outside of Israel are achilu Hashem. They're actually the desecration of God's name just by virtue of the fact that they are there when God has told us to come back, as is famously discussed in the famous book of the Kuzari, where the king of the Kuzarim is, is, asks the, uh, the rabbi, the Chover, he says, how is it that you are not, uh, if Eretz Israel, if the land of Israel is so important to you, how is it that the Jewish people are still dispersed in the exile? Why aren't they going home? And the rabbi honestly replies that, that you, have, you, have, you have ashamed me, O king, because you have found, found our weak spot, that even though we should be all striving to go back to Israel, the comforts, the Costco's, and what was the third one? <laughs> convenience, our, convenience. Our, our convenience are holding us back that th those weren't the exact words of the kuzari but i'm i'm, I'm paraphrasing correct, so correct. uh so that that is the idea that the the the, the prophets the prophets are very clear that it is a kiddush hashem the, the the sanctification of god's name is is by virtue of the fact that the jews are in their own land 
And when they are outside and, and, and dispersed in the exile, that is the opposite, that is a desecration of the name of God. Right, right, 100%. For anybody who wants to look it up, you can find it in Ezekiel chapter 36 or 38, I don't remember. It's one of those two. Anyway, the last point he makes is that throughout Jewish history, there have often been twin centers of gravity, whether it was Babylonian Israel or Spain and France, et cetera, et cetera. But I found that to be the most ridiculous. He's saying that that's fine, that there's, there's the center of Judaism in America, and then there's Israel. Wrong, because if anything, where is Spain now? Where are the Jews of Spain? Where are the Jews of Babylonia? All, that's, that's a proof against you, because all of those second communities have all petered out, have all been destroyed. And the only one that's still standing is the Jewish community in Eretz Israel. Our time has run, run out, so we have to say goodbye. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you again next week, one day after Yom Yerushalayim, and that's what we're going to speak about next week. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.